0: This episode of Happy Marks the Spot is brought to you by West End Precinct, New Plymouth. I have been lucky enough to visit New Plymouth and experience all that is on offer at the West End Precinct. It's a place you have to get to. International food and wine, coffee to raise anyone up, retail therapy at its finest and world-famous art. I thoroughly enjoyed my trip here. Something for everyone that it will leave a lasting impression. And trust me, you will just have to go back. I am your host, Simone Anderson. Happy Marks The Spot is full of honest chats with awe-inspiring guests that I chat to about how to navigate through the journey of life, the highs, the lows, and everything in between, unlocking inner happiness in each and every day, every now and then, or simply when one can. Today it's my absolute pleasure to welcome in someone who has been a real positive influence on my own social media career. Anna Reeve is one of the most upbeat people you'll ever meet and has woven her fashion and beauty career with her own experiences as a mother to young twins and all the chaos that goes with it. Her social media and blogs are overwhelmingly uplifting, positive and insightful, mixing warts and all stories with helpful beauty tips and even the occasional healthy recipe. I've known Anna for a couple of years now through the social media scene, and I can't say enough about how amazing Anna has been to me. Today, I have the honor and privilege of welcoming back Anna Reeve on Happy Marks' Spot. Thank you so much for joining me again today. I want to give a little bit of context about how I know Anna. So I've known Anna for a few years now, and we met through the social media scene. And for someone that was just thrust into this, I found it terrifying. And you were just always this beautiful smiley face, and I just really appreciated that. I honestly feel like I know way too much about you and your family just from watching your beautiful little Instagram stories daily. And I actually feel like a little part of your family, if that sounds (laughs) super creepy. I don't know. But I just want you to tell me a little bit about yourself, a little bit of back history and what your childhood was like.
1: So I grew, I'm born and bred Aucklander, grew up, had a pretty normal childhood. And, you know, I've got mum and a dad and a brother and we had a dog and a cat you know that sort of thing um, and then when I turned seven um, life changed drastically I guess I was about to say a little bit but no not a little bit drastically and all my hair fell out within two weeks it went from being like um, my mum thinking I was cutting my hair because it was sort of like choppy bits and she was like are you cutting your hair like your Barbies and I was like no I promise. Trying to give yourself
0: a funky new yeah, haircut. no cut. I
1: definitely wasn't attacking myself with the scissors and then I lost one whole eyebrow then one set of eyelashes, then the other eyebrow, and then all my hair had gone within two weeks, which is quite crazy. And in this
0: period of time, I remember you saying, because was your dad a pilot? Is that right? So he'd gone overseas for this and Mm. came back to a very different looking daughter, I'm imagining. it it started happening
1: just before he um, left, and then, because he flew long haul, so he'd go away to England and stuff, he'd be away for quite a while, and when he left, I had hair, albeit it was falling out, and then he came back and I opened the door, and I was just like completely bald. so it would have been... So
0: scary for him, I imagine. Oh, absolutely. And how do you think your parents found this? Did they ever really verbalise it with you later in life, how this moment was for them and what they were going through? Um,
1: To be honest, actually, no, we haven't talked about it a lot later in life Um, with me asking about how they felt. I think because it's been such a huge part of my life now, like I'm 33, so... only had hair for a tiny (laughs) amount of my life. And I'm so well adjusted to it now. I think that we don't actually dwell and talk about it that often because it's just not something that I need to work through myself anymore. It's interesting because maybe I should ask them really how they felt. I know from when I was younger talking to them about it that they found it really hard and they took ownership over and the fact that you always want to make your children better. So dad being a pilot, we could fly really cheaply. So I flew all around the world trying all different treatments and they really got their mindset that they wanted to try and find something that would help cure me.
0: and you can understand that yeah, from a totally. parent's perspective with your two gorgeous boys Absolute I'm sure you'd do anything, anything. for them exactly. if they were sick or unwell or yeah and
1: you want to be able to fix it I guess but I got to the point where I was probably about 12 and I said to them I'm done like if it's going to grow back it'll grow back I'm exhausted and tired of doing all these different treatments you know some of them are painful there's all sorts of side effects and bad things and I just I guess I hadn't made peace with my alopecia yet then and, been, and was fine with it, but I made peace with the fact that I had it and I couldn't really do anything about it. I'd rather just go with the flow than try all these things. So I think it was a relief for them when I told them that it's okay for me to have this and it's okay for you not to want to try and fix it and we don't have to go and try all these things. You don't have to research and just relax and try and go through it. And I think that was a big, yeah, turning point for them where they were like, okay, it's all going to be fine and we don't have to busy ourselves
0: trying to fix it. And that would have been a massive relief Mm. for your parents, I'm sure. But also, that's hugely brave for a 12 or 13-year-old to actually say, look, I'm, you know, I'm done mm. and I'm going to start dealing with this and I've had enough. Yeah, I think the, uh, the catalyst was the next thing that
1: the doctors were saying we could try was steroid injections. So they yep. would literally put like a hundred steroid injections <gasps> into my scalp. Um, I remember them tell me about that. And then side effects, and I was just like, Mm-mm, that does not sound fun. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll leave that one. <laughs> yeah, and for the fact that I think I was very quite aware, I mean, I've been doing a lot of things and I'd done a lot of things that for other people had great success, but because I've got the worst type, I've got alopecia universal, which is full body hair loss, and it affects like 0.1% of the people that have alopecia. So I've got the rarest and worst form, essentially. I knew that everything that we had tried that other people had success with always had, you know, patches or maybe just totalis of just on their head, and no one with my type really had that much luck. So I think I knew that the chance of it actually working
0: was super yeah, slim. it was
1: slim, and I was just—you know it's just like, I just want to be a kid, and it sort of wasn't
0: fun. You probably things. lost quite a bit of your childhood as such, you know, traveling and trying to focus yeah. on it. Yeah,
1: it's just—it's
0: just one of those things that as a kid you don't want to have to worry about that. I think,
1: I mean. I mean, I wasn't ill, in the fact that it was affecting we're my you know, unwell, yeah, were you? but I think anyone who has been ill as a child, not to compare, but you understand what it's like to be continually kept, you know, on this routine of drugs and appointments and all, you know, the, yeah, this is this, this whole rigmarole, and it's a, a such a grown up. Schedule that a kid never wants to be taking, and if I and because I I wasn't ill, I didn't have to be doing it. You know, it wasn't going to affect my life. I was just sort of done with it, and I was like, I'm
0: just yeah, I'm happy to leave it and just let it be. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take it back to you know a seven year old. How how did kids around you treat you? Were you treated differently, or was it everyone yeah. sort of came to terms with um, it alongside you? When I when I lost
1: it, I was at the care of Primary, and all the kids there were pretty good. There were some cruel comments. But I think as a seven-year-old, the kids are cruel, but they can't be cruel to the bone yet. Like, they don't That's really... True. Yeah, like, they, they just say silly stuff. I remember being upset about silly stuff. Like, someone said I look like their granddad because I was bored. Yeah. And I was really upset by that. But kids don't, at that stage, know how to really use words as a full-on destroying weapon. And to, like, actually manipulate yeah, you and anything like that, so, yeah, do So, yeah, like, I, I felt... I wore hats, I would never not wear my hats, and then I'd feel funny when kids would like try and take my hat off, you know, that kind of typical little bullying thing. But then it just sort of got worse when I moved. I moved primary schools because we moved areas. And at that school is when the, the proper bullying started. That's because, you you know, you get older and kids, yeah, know how to use words to make them really hurt. And I also had a lot of the things where your friends are someone, but then they're not your friend and they're one of your biggest tormentors. They were some of the ones who were most cruel and that made a really tough time for me. And I also stupidly made the mistake, which I realise now, looking back, hindsight's a beautiful thing, that I refused to let my parents tell, the teachers knew, but tell the kids at
0: school that I had alopecia. So so I wore a wig to hide it, and the wigs back then it looked terrible. <laughs> I have seen some photos, and mm. that they're not the beautiful wigs you wear today no. that you would never be able to tell, would
1: no, you? No, no. Actually, for they're the same brand, but it was in its infancy, the of company course. then, and they were like these big, puffy, <laughs> like they were terrible. They did not look like a you know, nine- or ten-year-old's hair. Um, so they could guess, and they would always be trying to catch
0: me out from wearing a wig. As well, you know. And that's the, hard too. You feel hmm. like you're sort of, in a, you are keeping a secret. I, and that's absolutely. not easy going through no. every single day, yeah. feeling like you're hiding even a tiny part of yourself.
1: Yeah, yep. I was completely lying, lying to my best friends. Um, even your lying, best friends? Well, yeah, no, yeah, totally. Nah, well. like lying to everyone. And I think my best friends knew, but they were the ones... The kind ones are the ones that just knew not to say anything because I obviously wasn't feeling comfortable talking about it. Lying to them, lying to myself, and trying to hide it. It's, it's a
0: real big show and dance to be putting on for a, a small child, really. It is, it's a lot to up. constantly yeah. think about because you, mm. without realising it on the playground when you're doing certain things, you would always have this in the back of your mind that yeah. actually, what if it flew off? What if, it, you
1: know? Totally. Terrifying. Um, and that's what they would, you know, I was hanging upside down in monkey bars and kids would you know, try and see, and, you know, that was the, the things that, try and catch me out on, and, and it's funny flying off and that's how they all found out I went oh, really? to, yeah, I went to um, school camp when I was standing four, which is year 6 and I was going down a water and went down once and it was fine and the thing with these wigs they are amazing I can surf I can bungee jump I've skydived I can do anything oh, wow. and they won't fall off but they're made to the exact shape of your head they do 3D image scanning and so when you're a child and you're growing up you grow up and your skull obviously gets bigger so when your skull gets bigger it means that there's air can get in and the it's air really is what creates, yeah, that, right? it's what creates the vacuum because you're pushing all the air out because it's the exact same shape as your head. So air can get in. So after going down the second time, it had gotten small, and air got in and this the water came up during the back and that's where I let it off and oh. it just flipped off and flew off through the air. And I remember sitting under the water for so long, holding my breath, not wanting to come up and then having to come yeah. up and a teacher scooping me up
0: and taking me up. So it was in front of my entire... Like, school year. Literally, like, ripping off a Band-Aid, really, isn't it? Like, (laughs) in front of everyone being like, well, you all know now. And, you know, that's terrifying, though, having to deal with that Mm. in that moment in such a dramatic way. And it wasn't a choice. You didn't get the choice to say okay, now I feel brave enough to tell them. No. That was just taken away from me. No.
1: And, to be honest, I don't even know if I would have got to the stage where I would have said, oh, I'm brave enough to tell them. You know, it's a year away from going to your high school and moving on, and they'd eventually find out, and I probably just would have left it. So maybe yeah. it's good in hindsight, once again. <laughs> it's <laughs> a beautiful thing. <laughs> Mum drove up to the camp, and I was like, I'm going. You know, we're going home. I don't want to deal with this. And Mum, I don't know how she was so strong, because I can imagine giving in to my children and being like, of course, this is hugely traumatic. I'm taking you home and come on, you under baby, my let's wing. Come yeah, on, wouldn't let me. She was like, no, you have to stay here. You have to face it. We're going to tell them what's happened to you and teach them about it and we're going to deal with it. Um, So she really made you face your fears? Absolutely. Um, Which at the time I'm sure I pretty much hated it for. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it was. It was the best thing to teach. I think I always say to people, people, especially children, children are scared of things that they don't understand, and when children are scared, often makes them act out in bad or mean ways. because they just don't understand mm-hmm. it fully, do they? Totally. They thought, you know, and they're going to catch it from me, and their hair's going to fall out, or, you know, all these sort of crazy things and rumours that kids come up with. So I think that was the best thing, was actually standing up and educating them about what I had, how no one could catch it, the knowledge yeah, that that, yeah, totally and to help make it better. I mean, sure there were still dickhead
0: people and who were people who were cruel. There always is in every part of life. They still even as adults today. Totally, you know? yeah,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but it definitely helped and I think it helped me realise that just being honest and is the way to go going forward. So then the next year when we went to high school it was one of those things that people did know about. We didn't stand up and do like a big thing, but it was known, and that was okay.
0: And yeah, I okay and you could probably that. start coming to terms with yeah. exactly what you had and who you were and, yeah. you know, taking that on board a bit more yourself, and I'm I, sure. Th- and
1: I think as well, like, when it's out there and it's open and honest and you've given everyone your truth and you've explained it and explained the hardship that you're going through, you know, before when people were bullying me, they didn't officially know, you know. And now, you know, when you've told all these people how hard it is and all these things you've gone through – then when those people still bully you and still treat you like shit that's I think when you start to realize who really are the you know just really not nice people or people who are just going through hard shit on their own maybe at the time and it made them act that way but I think it made me really start to it took a long time as well like I still had people bullying me for a good couple of years into high school that I was still essentially friends with you know that whole frenemy thing but I, th- I think it was the start of the road to me realizing that I deserve better than that and that how could they treat me this way if they know what I've gone through. And, yeah, and they essentially know the struggle. Yeah, and they're trying to be my friends. And these are people that went from primary school through to high school as well. So them knowing even more even the history of like how hard it was during primary school is the beginning of the end essentially of learning to come to terms with it and to own it and to be like put boundaries in front of, people who don't treat me the way that I deserve to be treated.
0: Yeah, and I really respect that. Mm. You, from quite a young age, you were scouted to be a model. Tell yeah. me how this came about.
1: Um, So I went out for dinner with friends, and the scout agent came up and sat next to me and passed me a card and said, I'd love for you to call me. Thank you have a great look, yada, 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 the same old story, which was really exciting, but also gutting at the same time when I got it because I thought, she sent me my wig on, she won't want me when she realizes that this isn't real here, that I'm bald. You know, in your head, you think models are beautiful beautiful and have all this hair and, you know, you think your assignments, you need all the hair in to be able to do all the hairstyles. And I can do a lot of hairstyles with my wigs, but certain ones you just can't do because it will look wiggy. Like, You should be
0: able to see the yeah, hairline like you've properly, right? you got your hair right? up now
1: or slip back. Like I couldn't do that because you'd see the hairline on it because just because of this type of wig with being the vacuum and how it stays on. So, but we went and made an appointment. It's one of those things because I was 13, 14 and I've been told for years I was really tall and really skinny from really young age. I actually stopped growing when I was 14. So I was this height already at 14. Really? That's yeah. you Yeah, people thought I'd be so much taller but it's weird I just suddenly stopped growing. It was bizarre. I stopped at five eight and a half, and with the career modelling everyone was like oh, if only you were half an inch taller 5'9. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so close, the so day, close. Oh, for first of all problem Sorry, right? um, anyway, so I went, and when I told them, they were actually like, that's so rare. that's so cool, would you be comfortable modelling without it? And it was the complete opposite to what I thought was going to happen. Was
0: that a massive shock for you? Yeah. Because you were so sceptical, and mm. you were, you know, thinking that you were going to get rejected, and the opposite happened. Yeah. You are actually embraced for being different. Different, exactly. And I think, in a, especially back
1: then, you know, I think the modelling industry is so much more diverse now, but back then it was very, it felt very cutie cutter of what is beautiful, and I just didn't realise that you could be outside of that box and that that would be cool and I think it really helped that New Zealand's fashion industry is definitely more edgy and out there
0: especially when I was modelling yeah we took risks really didn't we we were that one step ahead from everyone else yeah
1: and it's just a real sort of different look and there were really different magazines like Pavement and Pulp and stuff that wasn't your typical sort of glossy magazine so I got a lot of work in those sort of types of magazines but um, it then brought up another issue is that I hadn't even shown my best friends my bald head I you know it was only my family. It was one of those things I was really shy about. So it was having to then overcome a set with strangers
0: to take off my hair and do and this those modelling. those sets are full on. You've got a lot of people around yeah. you, hair
1: and makeup, everything it was, going is on, so really. This so different to anything I'd done, um, so it was scary. I mean, it's nervous already modelling and thinking, God, how do I pose as you know a 14-year-old and getting that through your head. There was no America's Next Time model to teach you to watch no. at home and watch how to learn how to pose.
0: No YouTube videos no, you could Google no, totally. to figure it out. Yeah, you know.
1: on the set, it was scary. Um, but then I think it also then started this next thing where I became very confident confident. confident in the modeling world and on set being bald and owning a and running around backstage at fashion week shows you know, and you, you have new G string and no brown and no hair on, while changing, and there's all sorts of people there, including boys. Boys are good looking, cute. You probably have a crush on, or whatever. <laughs> and there you are rocking Yeah, because yeah, it's just like that. Yeah, no you kind of, kind of you become a you become a bit of a nudist, being a model. You have to. It's like part of the whole thing. And no one's creep You know, it was all fine. But then I, it became. I think I had very two different sides. Like I was this – all my friends saw me as you know, in magazines and everything is bored and always been proud of it. But then again, when I went back to my other normal private life, it's like I reverted and I still wasn't comfortable. I remember it was much after I started modeling where they'd seen me board in magazines where I actually show my best friends my my bald head and I remember it being this like big deal like guys I'm going to show you <laughs> I'm going to take off my wig and I remember my, my, like my friends being nervous they're like I'm really nervous how I'm, like don't be a if I like stare or I remember <laughs> it just being this big deal it's just so silly but yeah you re-
0: probably hyped this moment up so much head. more in your head absolutely
1: yeah. yeah but it's weird like I think I had like two different sort of personalities going along with this like really confident bald Anna at Fashion Week around all my Fashion Friends, because that's all they'd ever know me as, but then around all my other friends, they hadn't seen it, so I sort of reverted, and especially that way with men as well, it sort of became an issue. So it took a long time for those two parts of me to sort of amalgamate and be sort of just as confident in both realms of the baldness, if that makes sense.
0: Was there really a defining moment for this? Is there anything that you can think of, or was it just <sighs> growth as a as a person and it yeah. coming with age and all of that sort of thing? I always say it's such a journey
1: to acceptance. Um, I now, if you gave me a pill and was like, "Here, if you take this, your hair will all be gone back tomorrow," I wouldn't take it. Like, I really am happy with my with how I look and my alopecia, and I love that I've got five different wigs and I can be blonde and then red and then brunette and then have a fringe. And not have a fringe, and I can get my hair blow waved and take it off at night, and I get one whole week out of a blow wave (laughs) instead of. And that's honestly,
0: I am so jealous of that. I look at your hair, and it's just fabulous all the time. And I know that that's just an on and off, but isn't it just things like that? Like going from blonde to red in a day, Mm. I. Dream. seconds
1: and seconds <laughs> yeah and not having to like shave and I have like the silkiest like not even like give it a feel have you oh, felt my legs I am about they, they're like I, s- I don't
0: think I've ever even felt no, that people buzz out even- yeah oh you're not you're not <laughs> touching mine no don't, <laughs> don't you come funny, near it's my
1: children obviously because I aren't used to spiky legs they have both mentioned it to Julia my best friend and <gasps> my mum when they've slept in bed and they're like oh why are your legs spiky it's so spiky <laughs> they don't they just don't they're not they are like what that doesn't, they don't understand it um, um, so I'm really happy with what I've got going yeah. on now. But it is, it's it's very much a journey. I couldn't ever say it was this one point. I think I would definitely say maybe in the last three years it's like feels really rounded out because I was really confident and fine with it before then. But I still, even a couple of years ago, it wasn't for me, but I used to care about how uncomfortable other people felt. So I used to, you know, swim at the beach with my wig on just because, you know, I didn't want like kids to feel, stre- you know, I don't know. I just felt worried about how other people felt seeing if they make them feel awkward. But I realised that's probably my own issue. Like I shouldn't give a shit what anyone else thinks oh, exactly. or how they feel. They can deal with their own issues and maybe seeing a ball woman will help them. <laughs> like, it's, grow and yeah, evolve totally. and actually think outside the box. And I think I did as well because like, it's like, oh, can we bother with the questions? Like the questions and the stares and the things you get when you walk around as a ball woman. Sometimes you just want to go about your day with, you know, <laughs> without having to deal with it. But Especially now,
0: when it's a topic that you probably feel like you're, you know, talking about a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, flogged it. (laughs) But yeah, now, you know, moving to the beach and I was like, God, why am I bothering getting my hair wet? Let's just take off the wig. And it's, you know, and it's one of those things even now that I'm just so much better at doing and not caring about. And I think I very much got stuck in the habit as an adult woman to put on my wig every day because when I was younger, I mean I still like I like how I look bald, but I also like how I look with hair. Like I really enjoy having hair. And in New Zealand with our weather, it's so much warmer to wear my wig in winter. Oh,
0: absolutely. I, For most of the yeah, year really, wouldn't but it? But then be?
1: even in summer, you know, getting a burnt head and things like that. And I do like how I look with my hair I like putting on and yeah, I like being a going about my day and being anonymous and not having to be seen so much. You're very you know, as soon as you've got something that's different, you know, you are people you stand look up. Yeah, you yeah. Do. I'm trying now to make it not such a thing that I Get up and always. I think it's just habit that I put my wig on. I think in summer, this summer as well, I'll be rocking around a lot more. Like I do it without my when I go to the beach and something like
0: that. Or I noticed gym, on I don't your don't last holiday too that yeah. you I saw a lot more, more shots yeah. without your wig on, and I just loved that. Yeah, and beautiful <laughs> and bronze. Yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily
1: because I feel more confident now. I just think I'm just trying to break a habit of a lifetime of getting up and put a wig on because like, it's literally one of those things I don't even think about. Like I like get up. Your tape, really, Absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely. And it's also because you know, as I said, I do like what I look like. But I also really like myself with here, and so with certain outfits, like it does look better with here, and I, like you know, and oh, I can say I, that, and I can feel so that as then well. that's why I put, you know, that's why I put it on. But I'm just trying to like. Refine my vibe of like what suits it when like I don't wear my wig and then I'm like it's a whole thing I'm like God now I've got like a tan line do I like put my foundation
0: Yeah where do I stop the yeah. foundation Yes yeah.
1: and it's like and it is it's just making a statement it's just such a journey and I think I'm gonna forever be on this journey I can definitely say that I've met the point of the journey where I'm completely confident and happy with it but it's still a journey with how I express it in my day to day life and I think it will be forever
0: and that's so cool to hear though mm. and I'm sure for your two young boys mm. seeing their mother embrace something that is so different and unique will be mm. such a powerful message and lesson for them going forward yeah. to embrace what's different and yeah. to not pull it out and judge it all the time. For them, mm. it's, it's their norm.
1: And you that's, know? that's something that I'm actually not battling with, but I'm going through at the moment now with, you know, not wearing my wig when I'm going to the gym and it's sort of like I go off to the, into the gym straight after dropping drop off at school. And now I'm thinking I'm, I haven't gone to their school. I went to their kindy keeps of my wig on, but I haven't done all with their school yet. And with school, there's older kids again, you know, it's not, Four year olds and unders, and kids who are very aware, kids who can be really cruel. I don't want to let other kids change how I act, but I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to go about rocking up board and equipping them with the tools that if someone says something to them about their mother, that they've got the right answer and the confidence and the knowledge to talk on it so they don't feel upset. I don't want them to feel bullied because of how their mother looks. So that's a new thing that's really interesting I going through now. About that, yeah, actually. It's, it's, on, it's so right. Yeah, that's my the thing the last couple of weeks. I don't know why I'm getting teary-eyed, but yeah, Aww. I just wanted to, to affect them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know
1: why it's just okay. so gorgeous. I want to come over and give yeah, you a no, no, I'm you're... Okay, I'm okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just very aware now of what it was like. You know, so on the flip side, um
0: trying oh, to teach like... them.
1: Yeah, I know, you're a baller too.
0: Anything sets you yeah, just... it, does. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot
1: uh, in it. But yes, that's something I'm really thinking about at the moment because there's older kids here, and their friends know, like, because we've got heaps of family friends that have gone they've gone up with that, know that I've no here and seen it. So they've got friends at school who know that and are all fine. And they, you know, they've never seen anything bad, but it's like other kids. Or just some kids are just like a really brutal about, like, I want to see, you know, like, the will say and it's not something bad at all, but they'll help me. Can you take every wig? I want to see it. Like, some of their new friends that they've met and heard about it. I'm just like, I'm good at the moment. I don't want to, like, give in to, like, some little kid, pretty much. Oh, yeah, <laughs> a little okay, peer pressure from a child. Yeah, but it's weird, and it's them not being cruel at all and they just they're little they don't understand but it's just me figuring out how I'm going to make it that my kids feel fine and don't feel embarrassed by me not that they would the but you know, me? You, know, like, you know what I mean You never ever feel embarrassed with your kids when you're like, you're like oh my mum did this so embarrassing know, oh, yeah. they're like I <laughs> know in a bad way because I they know they're not embarrassed for me but I don't want it to affect them I need to figure out how I'm going to yeah equip them to deal with that
0: And that just comes from you, though. You're such a powerful, strong, incredible woman yourself. And they see how you conduct Mm. yourself. They see how you hold yourself online. Yeah, they see it as a positive.
1: I never talk about it as a bad. thing. I know that they will be fine. And they don't ever see it as a bad thing because I don't talk about it that way. I think it's just once again me putting my old issues of being young oh, and stressing about the them. Well, past. just because I was bullied, so I don't want them to be bullied. So it's like, I'm just stressing about that, which probably I just need to just chill out
0: and see what happens <laughs> and it'll all be fine. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> so, yeah. We tend to as humans overthink Absolutely. Things, don't we? especially <laughs> as parents. Yeah, you want to protect them. And it's like, I don't want them to go through what I went through, but yeah. Here is a quick message from our sponsor, West End Precinct. Halfway between Auckland and Wellington on the North Island's west coast is a region that Lonely Planet named as the number two place in the world to visit. Taranaki has surf, snow, and lush rainforests, but it's also winning attention for its thriving hospitality scene thanks to the West End Precinct. What Britomart is to Auckland, West End Precinct is to the cultural heart of New Plymouth. Set alongside a stunning coastal walkway, under the breathtaking Mount Taranaki, the West End Precinct is a vibrant block of boutique experiences. A hotel fit for a king and queen, award-winning cuisine, amazing bars and the bold Govett Brewster Art Gallery, unique in New Zealand. Make it one to visit. West End Precinct fosters the Eat, Love, Play, Laugh mantra, and its collective of businesses and people are there to ensure you have an experience that is everlasting. Check out westendprecinct.nz and book your next weekend getaway. Do you have a biggest achievement to date? Hmm... Because you've done a lot. You are a very successful,
1: (laughs) powerful woman. (laughs) It's really weird. Yeah, I've done, I have done a lot. I think it's hard to put a finger like on one thing. There's so many things I'm proud of. I feel like I've lived a lot of different lives, you know, like I grew up in the fashion industry. I spent a long time there. I did presenting with that. I had sort of like one of the first fashion websites for a while. I've had a really cool corporate career. I worked in public relations and then I've had my family. Um, we're now in a wine company. We've done lots of things and I don't think I, like I can put it down on one certain thing because they're all such different things, but I literally think that I'm proud of how I've overcome this and turned what I've had into, it's led me into multiple different careers and made me into the person who I am today. And I think, I, yeah, I think I'm just most proud of how I've dealt with it and how I've, made it my little bitch you know, yeah. I owned it you know like I've really I feel like I've really owned this and yeah I've, I'm have like a really well rounded person because of it and I've turned it into a really positive for myself and I would like to think for others with helping other people through it so I've, I think I've made a real positive out of something that can be really destructive and I know like people look at it and think oh it's just here and you're well unless you've got your health and all that And but for some people and for me definitely at one point in my life it's destroying like it's soul destroying and like ruins a lot of people's lives and it's so difficult and I think I'm just lucky that I got it young so I grew up and had a long time to deal with it I could imagine losing it when I was like 18 or later in life it'd be so much harder so I just had the time to do with it but I'm, yeah, I'm really proud of that
0: and that's a very long winded life. I love no so <laughs> many people you're right would see it and find it and have limitations because of it, whereas mm. you've been the opposite. Yeah. You've taken it and you've used it as your little diving board to just propel yourself mm. into so many amazing different career paths and you've never let it get in your way. And you're right, in doing so and in owning something that is so different and so unique, mm. you've managed to make other people feel more comfortable in their yeah. own skin. And that's something that I love. I mean, you I talked about it before, but you have an amazing platform where you share your life very publicly on social media. How has that been? Have you sort of grown into that gradually or did you just suddenly decide to start sharing everything online? I mean, I just started going on the gram when the gram started. <laughs> yeah. um, you're one just, of the OGs, I'm yeah,
1: sure. And I, and I didn't like post heaps and it just literally was something that just naturally happened. I wasn't one of those people, you know, like yourself where you have something that goes viral and then it suddenly explodes and you're like, oh my god, there's all these people what there overnight. The <laughs> Mine's very slow and steady and I'm really happy with that as so I'm like, don't care for. that it's not like a big numbers game thing and it's just naturally happened and grown and it's just I've just started sharing I just share my life like I am who I am and I don't like, have this whole way I try and go about it with thinking I should be in this realm and
0: I'll share this sort of stuff. It j- it's just literally off the cuff and natural. I don't plan anything. And that's um, why it works so yeah. well because people can see that. People can see that you wake up in the morning, there's your natural, beautiful face. You yeah. know, you're not posing it, you haven't thought about it yet. Yeah. You know, it's just beautiful.
1: And I, there, I got a really beautiful message last night about someone with alopecia and how it helped. And it's really nice to have those open lines of communication. Suddenly, it's that people can get in
0: touch with you and you can really chat back. And it's that interaction. And, and then, I'm sure they feel so much less alone mm. just having that line of communication, being able to reach yeah. out and say, you know, thank you, I admire you. And, you know, if, as a young female, as a young male, having a question about something and feeling able to ask someone who's mm. gone through something similar or the same path and actually getting a response, yeah. amazing. It's And that's thing like I grew up in it, you know, it was before there
1: was, you know, chat, forums online and stuff and I felt very I didn't meet someone else with alopecia for years um, and then we met them when we were in England and it was in New Zealand oh I met an 80 year old woman
0: oh, <laughs> someone you can really relate yeah. to I'm Actually, sure I think she was
1: 80 because I think she's like 80 now she must have been like oh, 60 but in my time yeah I was 7 so I would have thought she was so old <laughs> the people who made my wigs got me in touch with her to, you know so I could chat through it but you know I couldn't relate to her this is this person who was probably a 6 or I thought was 80 but then and as well, on the flip side, it was when when I had my babies and I went through a really tough time um, with them. Because you
0: struggled with postnatal um, depression, didn't you? Yeah, Something so, you talked about very openly on your yeah, channels as well.
1: Um, we had a really tough time getting pregnant. Uh, we went through IVF because Jay has shitty swimmers. <laughs> He's got um, low fertility. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Yeah, and I have endo as well, but combined, it was just not a good combo. So we had to do ICSI, which is the most intense form of IVF where they inject the sperm right into the egg because his swimmers are so bad they would not just swim. Wouldn't just, even they, do it on their they, own. In the, in the Petri dish, you know, getting them that much closer, they couldn't do it. Um, and then everyone's like, well, that's why you had twins. No, we had one egg put back in the egg split, which gave us identical twins, which hadn't happened to our um, Mary Birdsell at Fertility Associates did our um, IVF, and she's like, this hasn't happened to me in like 10 years. So, that so it doesn't." it's so super happen- rare. Yeah, it's not meant to happen. <laughs> you get twins from IVF with yeah, putting multiple embryos back. So you're rare. And then when I was pregnant, I had really bad hyperemesis gravardium, which is when you vomit. So I vomited like 20 times a day my entire pregnancy. Genuinely
0: my worst fear. Oh. I'm, oh, terrifying. Because one of my close girlfriends, she struggled with that too. Mm. And watching her go through oh. it, I just felt for her. Hospital, everything. Yeah, it was... I lost 15 kgs. I was so you I was mean t- to gain some weight when you I was tiny. girlfriend. I
1: was tiny. There's pictures of me just before your birth and my arms and legs are like little sticks. Yeah it was not fun. <laughs> so I had a really crappy pregnancy which already put me in a dark place and then the boys were born six weeks early so then we had an emergency C-section and they were in Nico and I kept vomiting for three weeks which has never happened to my doctor. My doctor's like I just don't understand why you're still vomiting Usually, take the placenta out and you're good and I kept being sick so I Looking after these tiny newborns, still vomiting, and then they had reflux and colic, Um, and then I yeah got like postnatal depression, anxiety. It was just when I went to someone and talked to someone about it, they're like, "If you look at it, yeah, you've had this two years of hell, pretty much with even getting pregnant, and then your pregnancy. No wonder you're feeling the
0: way you're sort of feeling. Even dealing with the emotions that come with struggling to get pregnant, Mm. that alone is hugely challenging for a Mm -hmm. woman. And then on top of that a rough pregnancy, a tough birth, (laughs) premature babies... Babies babies. (laughs) with reflux, that's, you know, one of those can ruin a mother. Absolutely. And you've got all bloody six and one.
1: It was a lot of pressure, and I was young as well. You know, I was 26 doing IVF, which felt very unfair. young. Yeah, it felt very unfair. I was 27 when I gave birth. I can't forget it. God, it's so long. (laughs) You know, a while ago now, you forget. But I was young, and none of my friends had children. It was tough. I had no one to talk to about it. And everything I'd seen online, you know, I felt really um, not— mad at my children when I was pregnant but I was like they are the reason why I feel like like I felt like death warmed up I felt so crappy and it was so hard you know people bond with their babies in their in their stomach like I just didn't in that well, way not that not people explain no like that. I didn't feel that way I felt really resentful of it I and then I also like we desperately won these babies we had done IVF and then when I got two I was so shocked and not prepared and was petrified,
0: absolutely petrified having twins. I was one of those people who've never thought about having twins. See, I'm one of the yeah, opposite end. Yeah. I have dreamed of <laughs> twins. Trent and I are like, we talk about all the time. One and done, that would be yeah. my dream. No, it never had crossed my mind. Across my husband's, yeah. he wanted them um,
1: and he got them. But it's with always the way of J Reeve, he's a very lucky man. He gets whatever he wants somehow. Even <laughs>
0: twins. Right uh, yeah. down to that. Oh
1: yeah. Actually when we did IVF he said to the doctor, oh my God, so can we have twins? And she's like, no, I'd never put two embryos back in you. You're too young. Like, you don't Need it. And he's like, oh, got it, okay, what <laughs> happened then. And then, God, it happened. <gasps> of course. He squealed with delight, squealed with D- delight when he found out and jumped up and down and clapped like, eee! Like a child. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like an excited little girl. <laughs> so I was petrified and so I even was battling with the thoughts like, I so wanted these children, we just did IVF, which cost a lot of money and you know, all these sort of things, and now I've got two and I'm almost resentful of it and I felt really guilty for not being happy for, with what had turned out. Because I was petrified. And it just when the babies were born, I didn't feel that instant love and connection. Like everyone told me that. They're like, Don't worry, you feel terrible now, but you'll see them and you'll just be so in love and everything will won't matter and you'll just do
0: everything to protect them and everything will be happy and it'll be a fairy tale and everything will be perfect. Was that yeah, and it wasn't. <laughs> scary though, as a mother not feeling that bond. Yeah. I can feel That would just be overwhelming. Uh,
1: They took Hunter straight away to Nico because he needs to be put on a breathing machine. Oscar, I got to look her over my shoulder for a second, and then they whipped him away too, and then Jay went with them. And then I remember getting wheeled into recovery, and I my parents came in, and I sat up, I was like, I don't even feel like a parent. Like, I feel like I've just had, like, my appendix out or something. Yeah, you had a big surgery it, yeah, or something. Yeah, it was really It felt so bizarre. Like, my stomach, there was nothing there anymore. There wasn't this big twin bump anymore. And I felt really bizarre and very disassociated with where I was. And then when they wheeled me to my room, they wheeled me into Nico just to have a quick look at them. And I just remember looking at them, these little plastic boxes, just feeling nothing and it was yeah really bizarre and really scary you know to feel nothing cuz everyone told me you would and then I played along like, oh, I'm feeling everything. I'm so in love and this is amazing. It's the best thing ever. I'm so happy, blah, 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 blah,
0: Did you do that just to please people Absolutely. around you,
1: do you think? Um, to please them and to try and Trick fake it to fake it 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 you, make it yeah. kind of thing, being like, I'm going to be the best mum and I'm very – I'd always wanted to be a parent too. Like I'm one of those people when I was young, I was like, I want to have babies really young. Like it's one of the, my dreams to always be a mother and be a young mother. I feel you yeah, on that one too. Yeah, and I got <laughs> it. And then when it suddenly I was like, wow, this is so different to what – I thought it would be like and yeah I just went on this mission to be like the best mum and getting up and doing all the feeds and all the nurses thought I was so amazing and so capable and I'm very confident around kids because I had loved kids so I'd always been around lots of little children so handling these tiny little 2kg babies they're like wow you've been being told that you're doing a great yeah, job. Yeah, they're like for, you know, usually when it's newborns and then it's a new mum and they're tiny. They're so little people, you know, very careful and, you know, all scared and they're like, you're just absolutely nailing it. So I think for me in my head, I was like, if I'm getting praise, like I'm doing a good job, then I must be doing a good job so then I am a good mother and I'm not this monster who doesn't love her children. And it took a long time to admit that I wasn't doing well and that I was just sort of going through the motions and faking it to get the help that I needed to make me realise that it was fine and that, And then to realize, because no one talked about it, and that's what I was saying, talking about it online now, you don't hear those experiences, especially back then so much, about people going through this. And for me to then realize that this was actually really normal, it's actually so normal to see your baby and not to love it so wholeheartedly like everyone else. Like it's normal to love it so much, or it's also normal to look and be like it's a growing thing and that it can take time and that that's a normal way to go through it as well. And I just didn't realize it wasn't, and I needed to hear that that was okay and that it would come and that I'm not this terrible person and that this is actually very, a very normal thing to
0: happen. And, I, think and I said no. what's so cool about the power of social media these days is that all those stories that were never told, that were mm. never heard, that were kept, these little secrets, are yeah. now being shared by women and men brave enough Absolutely. to share these stories, therefore making people actually... Feel more comfortable and more confident Mm -hmm. in their own situations and realise that, like you're saying, that you're not a monster. You're not this awful human that doesn't instantly love their child, that that bond can grow over time. Absolutely. It's shared experiences. And like anything
1: in life, when as us as humans, we look to people who've gone through similar things and it creates that connection. And yeah, and it does bring, make you realise that there's a normality behind it and that other people go through this too and that it's going to be okay. And I think that's when someone's going through a really tough time, like people who love their children instantly don't really need to know that other people do because they're feeling it and they're already in a good space but the people who are having a tougher time especially when there's depression and stuff involved that they realize that there's other people who have gone through and come out the other side and it sort of helps gives you hope it's just the connections I think make such a big difference and that was the case and I absolutely love my children with every single ounce of my being now and I think I appreciate it even more because I know it just took time to get there, and that's okay. It took time to get there, and that is totally fine. I mean, if you think about it, there's these tiny, screaming little humans that take everything from you, they don't give anything back to you in the first while. They just sleep, eat, make your nipples Bloody raw if <laughs> you're breastfeeding, or keep you up all night wee, wee on sleep on you, pee on you, wear and poo on you, and <laughs> you scream at you constantly. It makes sense. Like these strangers, even though they're from you and part of you, they are little strangers, and you're both getting to know each other. And you don't just meet someone on the street and then just instantly. Especially not someone if they're gonna yeah, shit on yeah, you. Yeah, You know, are not instantly <laughs> gonna vomit kind of like on, your on your face. <laughs>
0: literally, <laughs> you're gonna be my bestie.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, it makes sense that like, yeah, okay. When if someone put it like that, I was like, yeah, it makes sense. You know, like you're getting to know each other. And it will come, and it totally did.
0: Oh, that's amazing. What do you think going through and suffering from your depression, Mm. what was your steps or how did you start to feel like you could actually work through it? Were there specific things that you did that, you know, really helped or worked with you? Was it getting support, reaching out?
1: Yeah, it was um,
0: support. I just... It all happened one day when I was at a Plunkett um, meeting
1: and my mum was there and the nurse obviously knew something was up. She was amazing and she just sort of pushed me on the question and I just broke down and let it all out. And my mum was there, just was horrifying because my mum has been spending every day with me and even my own mother... She couldn't know. see these signs. No, i I great actress apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar award yeah, winning really. Yeah, apparently. Um, just hit it so well. You know the whole faking it to you making it thing. And so mum took the babies for a couple of nights. I like one of the major things is we were massively sleep deprived. The boy, I mean I know every newborn parent is, but the boys fed on a two hourly cycle because they were prem and because they were vomiting so much, obviously weren't getting a lot. And so it would take like forty five minutes to do the whole process. So by the time I was getting back to sleep, and this was twenty four hours, they didn't have longer stretches overnight. And that's not because I had them on that schedule. That's what they would wake up to. So I was probably getting like maybe like half an hour sleep in between then needing to wake up again and getting another feed in there. So we were particularly sick. deprived. They did that for 16 weeks as well. And by the time I broke down and told mum what was going on, they were probably like three months old. So this has been going on for a really long time. I
0: can't imagine mm. a few nights of sleep like that, yeah, let yeah, alone I can't now (laughs) you You go it's funny once you get out of it and then you get one wake up and you're like oh my god I'm
1: so exhausted you don't know how you did it Um, I think it's a bit of adrenaline back in in the early days but um, mum taught them and I got some sleep which helped bring you know you go crazy without sleep so it helped bring some mental clarity back just getting a little bit of decent sleep and then I think from then I realised on that I have always been a really person who's really happy with my own company and I like my alone time I like to sit on the bench and read a book by myself or just potter around and I realized that alone time for me is what helps bring me back to center and peace within myself you know it's just who I am so I was really good at taking me time I know a lot of mums find it really hard and get the mum guilt but you know like booking my mum and come looking after the boys and having some alone time or Jay and I going having some alone time together or going away for the weekend I know a lot of people find it really hard to leave their children but for us that's didn't make me feel guilty. I know that when, if Jay and I could go have a night away together, that I would come back and I'd be a better mum, I'd be a better wife, I'd be a better friend, I'd be a better daughter, I'd be a better everything. It helped center me and bring me back to me when you're going through those tough times. So alone time and being quite demanding of, you know, like even now, like I'll say to Jay if we're having like a tough week, I'm like, I just need to go out. Made a friend for a drink, or I need to go and pot around the shops. I just, or you need to take the boys out and go for a play at the park for, for an hour this weekend, and I can just pot around the house for a long time. I just know when I need it and I will ask for it. And I think that was one of the good things going through it is learning to ask and recognise the signs when I need to do whatever makes me feel good. And it's so true and, though, and prioritising yourself. Because if you don't, then it turns to shit for the kids. So I think, you know, I know that even though some people feel guilty and I used to sometimes, I now realise that I'm doing it for me, but I'm also doing it for my family because it makes me me be better and Jay's the same like and I'm the same with him like he will need his alone home and we realize that we need it separately and we need it together and we make that a priority
0: and you guys still, you have such an incredible oh. bond between you two, and you can see that you guys prioritise your relationship, which Absolutely. is so key too, that you, when the boys leave home, you're still going to have this amazing, strong relationship because yeah. you've made each other a priority. I've got someone who's a friend and her parents are
1: childhood sweethearts, and they said to us that your children are alone loan to you, essentially, and your partner's there forever. Well, you'd hope so. <laughs> and that, you know, one day they, tu- they do, they turn 18 and they leave the nest and they go out and they have their own partners and they have careers and they have... Have lives they have their own families and you can't be so wrapped up in your entire self-worth and being being in them and you need to make sure that that connection with your partner is strong because one day there will not be kids to you know take your focus away and that the better you are, once again, the better you are going for your kids. So Jay and I very much like you know making sure that we're good is my priority because I know that us as a team makes us so much better parents, and that makes the life that our children grow up in so much better with us being in a happy place. So, oh, yeah kids get to see too, they and get to get see a happy proper, that are yeah, in love
0: and
1: you yeah, know, we kiss and, and we cuddle in oh. front of them, we speak nice words in front of each other, and I notice you know that sometimes when we've had the occasional fight and they've heard us being round and I can see how much it riles them and makes them really upset Um, especially as they've gotten older and understand I think it's really important for us to show them what a caring loving relationship looks like I think a lot of people you know even us as growing up as children my father's British and I love my dad but he was very British and like Mm -hmm. how I think as well like how our parents showed their relationships to us you know it's a different day and age you know not being as like macho right yeah like men Changing nappies, or you know, just simple things now. We would be like, uh, you cannot get, not get away with that, but you know, yeah, you showing get back here. Yeah. I, I saw you smell that, yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, household chores of like Jay doing the cooking as well as doing the washing and cleaning that we all do it. It's not just my job. I think we just very much like our children learn from what they see, they soak it in and they model that behavior. So if we show them very well rounded what humans should be and what great men should be like, I feel like I'm like, i very passionate about like raising amazing boys and so I think that comes down to like modelling how their father behaves as well so trying to model what a great man is and there's definitely things that like Jay grew up in the time where there's you know all that boy locker room chat and all that sort of stuff and even Jay recognises babies he's like just because we did this when we were teenagers, like doesn't mean that it was right or okay, or and that, you that we want to should... pass it on Absolutely, to the next generation. Absolutely, and we're right? very wary of that. So you know, with terms of yeah, our relationships and every action, we're just trying to model being the best human beings we can for our children. Cause, so then they hopefully will mimic that behavior. Not that I'm perfect, but you know, children do mimic what they see. So if we're doing bad things, they're gonna maybe think that that's okay. So cool. I'm trying to do it in all aspects of life.
0: I truly think you're doing an amazing job. I admire you both as parents and I think it's incredible to watch Thanks. so I love how you share it so openly. How do you define happiness?
1: Happiness is just feeling light and airy in my soul you know like you know when you're in a good space and I just feel you just feel good and happiness for me is yeah my husband and I've been in a really great space feeling really in love and connected like connect you know you can love someone but feeling really connected and whatever that means to someone. For us it's like spending alone time and just being really sort of into each other, you know. (laughs) Um, It's a difficult one to describe, isn't it? Yeah, some people might be bulky like, (laughs) (laughs) whatever, who knows? Hey, you know, ticks all boxes to me, then I'm good. Um, And then my children being really happy, it's just all of us feeling like we're in a really good space mentally, physically, all those aspects, everything just feeling like it's in the right place at the right time.
0: And do you have one place where you would describe as your happy place? Yes.
1: (laughs) Well, I used to be, weird saying used to be, but it used to be Mount Maunganui, because the mountains where my husband's from, but then we moved there and we lived there for sixteen months. So my happy place for me was like somewhere I escaped to, and when we'd go down there from Auckland, I you know leave my phone in the bedroom and we would catch up with friends, and I just felt very disconnected, and I just it just felt good for the soul. And when you move in there, live there. Suddenly all your day-to-day shit comes along with when you. And you have to go to the supermarket totally. and, you know, do your supermarket and shop. Do the washing but, yeah. and, you know, do all that sort of stuff. Um, so it kind of changed the, the magic a little bit for me. I feel happy in the sun. I'm a sun seeker, so the sun and close to water. So I don't have a specific space now. I think like summer is happy for <laughs> me. You yeah, bring the sun to me. Not long <laughs> no, now, Anna. I know, right? So yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to find my new specific happy place. If it's like traveling, then I think Bali, Bali's
0: a real happy place for me. Oh, isn't it just divine? Mm-hmm. Off there in a few weeks. Same five can't... weeks and count. Oh, oh, five? Four. Four weeks for me. Woohoo. Yes, bring it on. Can't wait to see <laughs> the holiday snacks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and you're going too? Yes, yeah. Very true, before a little retreat yeah. over there so some yoga some fitness some partying lots of good food i cannot wait nice balance right yes right yeah very balanced trip thank you so much for coming in and chatting to me today again i really appreciate it i think you're an amazing woman thank you so much thank you so much for listening to this raw collective podcast do not forget to rate review and subscribe it really helps others to find the show and literally just takes two seconds And make sure you head to Raw Collectives' Insta page or rawcollective.co for updates on this or any other of their shows.